Hello, hello, hello. Good to see you today. Welcome to I Turn My Podcast On. It is the one and only super fanning, career spanning podcast, all about the greatest rock band of our time, Spoon. Today's episode is going to be great, if I do say so myself. I'm very excited to let you all hear it. It's an interview with Mark Rankin, who is a multi-Grammy award-winning producer, multi-multi-Grammy award nominee. In the beginning, we talk a little bit about his history and his background, and then we get into making the record with Spoon and uh, some of the challenges, some of the techniques. So if you're inspired to make music or record music, Some little tidbits about gear and techniques that I think you're really going to enjoy. But just if you're a fan in general, you're going to enjoy it too. So please enjoy the episode. Please follow uh, the social media account so you know when new episodes are coming. And also talking about random spoon lore. The Instagram account is at iTurnMyPodcastOn. Twitter is at TurnMyPodcastOn. Follow the podcast on your favorite app. We are everywhere at this point. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud is uh, where we host the show. And then we got Audible, we got Stitcher, we got Google Podcasts, we got uh, Podbean, you know, all those places. So check us out. And, uh, you know, share the episode with your friends, retweet it, story it, TikTok it, anything is appreciated. I would also highly encourage you to go support the band live. They're currently on tour. They had a leg of the tour starting in April. They're back over the summer during the fall. I plan to see them in July personally, so I can't wait for that. But if you can support them, go out and see a show, buy a t-shirt, buy a comb, buy a hat, all that great stuff. So this will be the last time we officially via an episode, Bask in the Glow, of the new record, Lucifer on the Sofa. So enjoy that, and then very soon, we will go back into the back catalog and pick up with the tasty, amazing record that is Gimme Fiction. So until then, enjoy this interview. We're here today with Mark Rankin. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for making the time to to talk about uh, working with Spoon and some of your your other works. I appreciate you coming and talking with me today. Yeah, thank you. Let's start just by getting to know you a little bit. So first off, you've won two Grammy Awards. You've worked with, I'm going to go off this list. I'm going to be missing some people, but let's let's just let the listeners... No, you've worked with Adele, Harry Styles, Kate Nash, Queens of the Stone Age, Block Party, Iggy Pop, Weezer, Florence and the Machine, CeeLo Green, Foster the People, and most recently, Spoon. So is there anything you can't do, Mark? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talk to my wife, maybe about that. <laughs> well, it's just amazing when you when you think about all those different artists, um, the differences in in sounds, um, the differences in styles. So it just goes to show um, you're a versatile versatile man. 
Um, yeah, no, I definitely get across some different genres for sure, which I love doing though, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So when did you first start uh, getting into music? Uh, what what was your just first interest in, in music in general? I think probably like when I was young, my parents, you know, I grew up in England and my parents um, had like pubs, you know, my dad would run pubs. And I remember quite often there was there would be live bands playing in these pubs. And I for the most part, you know, I would just stand at the front of the stage and watching just uh, amazed at what was going on, you know. Um, and I remember once the drummer gave me a set of drumsticks and it totally uh, just hooked, you know. But I would never, my parents never wanted to buy me a drum kit or anything like that. So it was, I kind of learned a bit of keys and stuff, but I still don't play anything now, which I, I was always like, oh. Maybe I should learn to play something, but you know, it's maybe it's a good thing. I think it's got me this far, so it's like, right, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, that's great. So drums, beats were a big deal for you. Yeah, I so think that was it. Yeah, you know, but anybody can bang on some pots and pans. That's the most. Uh, that's the funnest part, right? Um, yeah, and then I think <laughs> I was quite lucky. Like when you know, I grew up in the eighties. I was like an eighties kid, and in the UK, there was so much good music i grew up in a park called essex which is kind of like you know not the most glamorous part of england it's sort of looked down on a bit but so many good bands came out of there you know especially in the 80s it was like depeche mode and all those kind of bands came out of that area you know and then um yeah there was always so much good music around it was like hip-hop hit the uk and early on you know when i was like 10 or something so i was bang into that and then that turned into like house music, which came from Chicago. You know, all this stuff was just always sounded like something exciting and new. Awesome. So because I couldn't play anything, it was like, oh, I could get a sampler, you know, or a drum machine. And I, that was ultimately my way in, you know, through a set of turntables and a sampler. Right. So is that kind of how also the, the recording or interest in recording as well as kind of the, the music instruments, not so much, but you can use these little bits of technology to kind of, uh, make things yeah that was yeah. how I kind of found a way in you know so right. yeah it was through like sampling and it, it was DJing I guess mostly you know set of turntables and some records right which then turned into oh right you can sample parts of these records and uh, hmm. you know that was a way to do it that's great and not to patronize you or the audience but someone in your field how would you explain the differences between uh, a producer an engineer and a mixer maybe which one did you start with you could also go that way as well yeah i i started with engineering i came through that because i didn't play anything a lot of the times you find you know people go into production because they have frustrated musicians in you know from bands or whatever but then, then they find their way in production it's just they have a way of working with other people maybe better but yeah mine was engineering like basically you know i came through doing what i was doing and then i thought oh, i really would like to do this as a thing if possible i remember reading a thing about spike stent mixing the spice girls or something and you know seeing photos of him in his his old studio at olympic it just looked amazing i was like that's what i want to do so i did a college course of like an evening class of a basic engineering thing and then I, you know, sent my resume out to all these studios like you do. And the only one that got back to me was a mastering studio. 
so I was like, bingo, I got, a, I got a response. So I went in and I started as like a runner or an intern in a mastering studio in London, um, which turned out to be like one of the best vinyl cutting rooms in the world. It was called The Exchange. And they, you know, would, would cut at that time because I was really into electronic music and they were cutting vinyl and mastering on these records by the Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk and Bjork, you know, so, so many good things come through there. So I was, I, I was kind of, you know, I actually started off learning to cut vinyl and like master records. Um, you know, the job was getting lunch, but then after I would just hang out and stay behind as much as I could. And then, but the guy who owned the, the studio was like, oh, we've got this spare unit. We should like put a little studio in there or something. And that was it. That was, that was my break. You know, I got just left alone to buy some equipment and put it together. And we built this sort of little studio. That's, that was, that was my way. In. Yeah. That's fantastic. I learned so much from it just because of the fact it was all one room. So, you know, we would have a drummer in the room and I was standing really near the kit. So you, you feel what it's like to hear someone play drums. So my, my learning thing was not to replicate records. It was like, how do I get the sound of what I'm hearing onto tape? You know, like that feeling. So that right. was, and I learned to just move microphones around. It was a really limited place. There was no mixing desk. Start with, we built a mixing desk. Just, we found these old like pots, you know, like potentiometers from, that came out of the BBC when they would throw their old stuff away. And I built this like uh, 16 channel mixer, which was just a pan pot and a volume pot. <laughs> that was it. You know, it was like, if you wanted an EQ, you went and got one from the mastering rooms, which is like a big old tube EAR Poltec style and put it in line in between the mic pre, you know, and it, it all kind of went straight to tape. Wow. So it was quite a kind of extreme way to learn, but it was really valuable. Yeah. it's awesome. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit um, about how you started with Spoon. In order to work with a band or, you know, be interested to think the, the relationship's going to work out in some capacity, you kind of have to be a fan uh, of one another. First of all, how'd you become aware of uh, Spoon? Spoon are one of those bands that, I, that you would, I would go back and listen to, like go and specifically look at Spoon and go, oh yeah, it's them, you know, who made all these songs that I liked over the years. So many good songs. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Spoon. So, you know, they've like, they've done so much good stuff. And when the call came through, it was like, would you be interested? <laughs> yeah, of course I'd be interested, you know, it's one of those. Awesome. The song you guys worked on, so we'll, no, we'll start with No Bullet Spent in 2019. If we back up a little bit, yeah. they, they had worked on a couple songs as uh, the closer to their greatest hits record. So no pressure there, but you got to make a song uh, that stands up with <laughs> their handful of like best songs ever. How was how that? Yeah. Did, did, did anybody feel that pressure? Or were they just like, we just want to make some good songs. We'll pick one later. Or... Yeah, I, don't, I didn't really get that info to start with. No, we went and just started working on songs. And then I think, you know, they were just like, oh, we're, we're doing the, the great hits. And we're going to pick one of these. I think No Bullets at that point was probably the mo- one of the most fully realized that things we'd started on. Yeah, well, it's a great it's a great song. So I guess there was no pressure until until later. They had to they had to pick the rights or or a good enough song <laughs> for them. But uh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. So you're to to, to, to sit with that catalog. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. 
So you said you traveled to Austin in 2019. You worked on some of the songs. And then when the follow-up came around now, because I, I talked with Britt about it too, there was that delay and there was also the time of stopping and then restarting when it comes to uh, Lucifer on the Sofa. Did you work in the in Jim's studio, the public hi-fi studio there in Austin? Yeah, okay. we did, yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, such a good space. I mean, you know, his, his puts, puts a lot of commercial studios to shame with this. <laughs> His equipment, he's just got so much good stuff there. So it's awesome to have that facility. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just like the, their home base. So were you aware, though, that um, they had come off? So, you know, you're starting these new songs of really heavy synth dance. Like when you when you started the project, are you ever thinking about, well, we got to make something different than the last or or does that never come into your mind? No, I mean, it, it depends. I guess everybody really wants to move forward. But usually they have, you know, it really comes from them as to what they're doing. Unless you get something that's exactly the same, then you'll be the one that'd be like, yeah, no, maybe we could try pushing this way a bit or pushing further. Mm-hmm. But that was the original idea from them, you know, was they wanted to try something that was a bit more natural and just banned in a room yeah. style. So that yeah. was always the kind of brief from the outset. So you mentioned the gear at the studio and in uh, public hi-fi uh d- we don't have to get into every single specific thing but did you notice like did they did they use a lot more analog gear than other bands did they did you guys record on the tape for any sessions or yeah we did some stuff to tape for sure um a lot of the times they had the facility there and we had it hooked up a couple of songs i think to start with i think we tracked to both where you can parallel and record to Pro Tools and tape at the same time. And for whatever reason, the, the Pro Tools version sounded better, you know? But then some things we did, because it was just a specific idea that we did go straight to tape. So, yeah, I'm not uh, either way. I, I started off with analog and I used to be all about analog. But for me, it's whatever sounds best. Yeah. You know, tape, tape, uh, tape has its charm same time you know if it sounds better going to the computer um it's way more convenient yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a yeah, bonus sure. you know absolutely yeah well brit and brit and jim have co-produced their records for years you know since the beginning so um like yeah. compared to working with other artists did it feel more collaborative working with them or like were they more hands-on than your typical uh that um yeah no they're very hands-on you know yeah because they like you said, they co-produced all this stuff. Um, Jim does a lot of production and mixing, you know. So a lot of the time, you're like, ah, I think we could do it like this, you know. Jim, what do you think? You know, they kind of uh, overstep it. But in that scenario, Jim's in the band and it's kind yeah. of over to you, you know. But but yeah. they definitely, yeah, they're definitely hands-on. I, I guess because it's slightly... Uh, because it was in Austin and, and we had, we were doing things in chunk. I would go there for a week. We would work on things and then I would leave and then they were still there and they would carry on with things, you know? So they're definitely hands-on and that's like, I would come back three weeks later or something on the next month. And then some, you know, they would have been working things out and recording parts and putting parts in. And so definitely hands-on in that, in that sense. And then, and also with the songs, you know, we would start a song 
which maybe was kind of an early idea. We'd build a bit and then I'd go away, come back and they would, like you said, they would have been playing it, you know, working it out a bit. So I'd get back and it'd be like, moved on that much further, you know. So yeah, it was very much, they were very hands-on on the record. Great. Okay, so we'll, we're going to get into the record. I have one final, possibly difficult question for you, Mark. It is this. What is the Mark Rankin signature sound? <laughs> um, yeah, all these different things I've done. I think it's probably in the drum sound somewhere. That's the most comments I get, you know, about people would hear something and heard the drums and thought, maybe I did that. So back from your very first time getting a pair of drumsticks as a kid. Yeah, and um, can't, can't play drums. <laughs> it doesn't but matter. I want them to sound, yeah. But no, it's great how you explain that. I mean, you you wanted to record what your ear hears, not what a record is. You know, that's, that's pretty yeah. great. I like that. Yeah, that's great. there was no glass. The feeling you get standing next to a drum kit, which is pretty powerful. That's great. Yeah, feel it in your chest. Yeah, that's it. Totally. You know, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get specific now with this. We'll stay, we'll try to stay focused on uh, the new Spoon Record, Lucifer on the sofa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> try. I'll do our best. Here's the great thing, though. The first vocal on the record is yours. Yes. Mark? I know. Well, gift. <laughs> have you ever, so have nice. you ever, have you ever been on uh, any other I records mean, not, you've worked on before? Not like that. Not solo. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, sung BVs and hand claps and of course that's everything you know <laughs> all that sort of stuff but no that was that was really nice I remember yeah. he said Brent sent me like an edited version when I first heard it and it was like he said I've left you on the front that's right you're, c- oh, wow. you're cemented in spoon history now I am yeah, yeah. Oh, well. thank you <laughs> that's great yeah because you know they they keep a lot of their from their previous records studio chatter here and there so yeah, um, that's, the, that's the thing. Yeah, I know. I, I, and I made it like front center. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So uh, another thing I noticed, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pulling a lot from, because I'm a big fan of the Queens of the Stone Age records you worked on, specifically the first one you worked on. So when I'm hearing, when I hear the hardest cut, that's like the heaviest, that, that specifically that drop D riff, that's like the heaviest thing I've ever heard on a Spoon record. Would you say that was kind of your expertise lent to the that moment or? No, no, that oh. was just, that was the first thing. I'm pretty sure that was the first thing that came about from that okay. song. Okay. That riff. I think I, someone would probably correct me here. I think it was Alex who had a riff, uh, which then, yeah, which was then, and it went through one incarnation in the studio before it got the Texas riff. Right. Yeah. Brick, brick was it i think that that part you know okay Which, okay uh, so it's actually easy to i mean i'm sure that i definitely you know coming from queen's records and hearing this riff it's like, yeah okay yeah i'll do this yeah. and i'm sure it kind of bled in there a bit but <laughs> yeah and that was probably my brain connecting it too because i think when they announced they were working with you i think you were quoted as somewhere being queen to the stone age uh producer so that yeah, i was, I was probably like okay right. I, i'm gonna try to listen for all those moments yeah yeah <laughs> but going along with that song so there's there's three really distinct guitar sounds on that song so how do you how do you make sure that like sonically there's not just a bunch of mud but there's 
three distinct songs. Is that a challenge? Yeah, that's which is something. Um, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. You know, it's something I I really learned probably on the Queen's records with you know those guitar heavy records. Um, and learned a lot from those guys about doing that sort of stuff. You know, like uh, I think what we did on this one on the hardest cut. There's some. Uh, I think a lot of them are like DI'd, okay. which I kind of really like doing. Like ped- you go through pedals, but no amp. And so you, you have all these pe- this processed chain going through pedals and that's it. So, so it seems really kind of close and pasted and dry. And then, the, the, you know, my favorite thing to do then is like, how, where'd you put the other one? And it's, to me, it's almost instantly you go, well, let's put it, in a through an amp in the room with a microphone far away you know so you build up the picture you've got these guitars super close and then the next one is 30 feet away and super loud you gotcha. know so that's instantly without doing anything it's it's in a different space okay cool yeah so not um, it's not just tones it's actually so you have some di sounds and some mics slash room sounds off an amp and yeah yeah that's, that's it yeah that's how you know without just without thinking about it as you're tracking it i love that not having to have you know have someone mix it and say put this in a space they just do it and print it also yeah like the solo on the hardest cut was harado is again one of those things where you're just like play a solo you know we need a solo and he he played that solo that's on that which is insane you know through a little I can't remember what the amp's called, a tiny little amp. And he just like, just belted that thing out. And it was, in, you know, we had maybe like five attempts. I can't remember. I feel like it was, after he did that, it was just like, okay, good, you're done. Because it was incredible. It's one of those ones that you're just present for and you just yeah. can't believe that you get it, you know? Because it's like, let's do a solo. And it's so difficult to, for someone to come up with a cracking solo. Yeah. But that, I didn't touch it. it was, that was him just came up with that thing and it's like okay now nah, good luck playing that live let's get into the next track then a little bit if if we can devil and mr jones this is a huge sounding song with a ton of instruments i mean we have horns a lot of percussion uh was that just a ton of different tracks and instruments or did it feel pretty pretty small and it just sounded really big i think yeah i don't think i i think it just sounds kind of like there's a lot there Grand. quite arrangement wise it kind of moves around you know it goes back and forward yeah i think it just sounds pretty grand and there's like horns on there you know and, and the the bvs and stuff which really give it color and um really nice textures on there but i, th- I think that was quite well formed at least the kind of initial idea of it when brit brought it in yeah and like the thing about those guys doing their thing like i didn't record the brass for that i'm, I'm pretty oh, sure oh you didn't okay okay gotcha i'm pretty sure they had someone in in one of those in-between times, you know. Gotcha. I think we probably sketched it out with Alex on a keyboard. Sure. From uh, like a Mellotron or something doing the brass. And then they they had someone come in and, and play it. Play it. Okay. Yeah, because um, the, yeah. the, arrange, the arrangement of it is so good because, yeah, you have dynamic moments with all the instruments. And then those verses just have a really tight bass and groove. They just lock in together and then, you know, a little guitar here and there. But, yeah, that's a, that's a great, yeah. great tune. I love that, you know, and we go with players like that. You can, that's, you can do that stuff. You know, you can just have bass and drums. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so let's get into Wild a little bit. Um, such a good song. It's a very uh, kind of reminded me of yeah. 80s, like maybe a little New Order, a little U2. Um, what did you do in the studio to give it that aesthetic? Did you did you start with the drum sound on that one? Or did that come later? Yeah, we did. We started with the drum sound um, and it was totally different. Remember <laughs> Britt being like saying, I'm not quite sure what it is. And I, I remember I got this drum sound going. And I think me and Jim laid down the drums, did the oh, whole you. thing. And okay. I was like, Yeah, this is great, you know. And then <laughs> Britt coming in and being like, Yeah, not really feeling that. And it's totally <laughs> right. So we were like, Ah, okay, cool. All right, let's go again. And then um I think I was listening to like Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Something so definitely you two vibe yeah. there when we tracked it. So I then went back and based it on the room sound. You know, I got a really good room sound going and it was kind of hat heavy and but all in the room and then dialed it in from there and that was the that was the winner. So it, yeah, it was pretty pretty kind of like from a U2 angle, I think. Yeah. The drum sound on the start of that one to get it going. Right. Yeah, what a you, song. So good. Yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah, those drum, you can just kind of I mean, the song builds off of it, right? But if you just listen to them by themselves, they just there's something special about it. So yeah, it's it sounds great. And I think the version you're probably talking about, maybe not, but they they just released the EP not too long ago with a, a different version. I think it's called the Trashy version or something. So uh, with the different, oh really? Drum, yeah. So the it, it's a, right. a couple remixes, but then the one that's got a different drum sound sounds a little more loose. Uh, this one's very tight. Uh, great sounding tune right all right i'll have to have a look back at that so but then you also my my favorite i, I love the drums but the, the part that really hit me when uh i listened to it is the piano when that piano comes in around a minute or a minute and a half it just sounds really uplifting um sounds really great yeah and, and then then the piano is great in the next track uh my babe so is that first of all is that the same instrument and because they sound very different um and then maybe we talk a little bit about, about piano techniques on the record yeah I, th I think it was the same instrument i'm pretty sure that was the same upright that's in public hi-fi okay brit had one also an upright uh in la but, but i'm pretty sure that one was both um yeah and i guess the sound of that was it's almost like that kind of house piano sound like the house music piano sound you know yeah. Which I, I learned to do once. I remember, I think it was on the Foster the People session and we had a uh, grand, big grand piano in the studio, which just sounded too big for what we were doing. So I just used a couple of uh, SM57s on this really amazing piano. And it did that thing where it just gives you this kind of really focused, small sound. And, and that just, I felt like would be the way on Wild. I think the piano sound on that was actually a mono. It was just an SM57. Oh. just just one over it because everything else was so big at that point the drums were all kind of ambient and big just this uh sort of super small gotcha. guitar uh, piano sound would just come in mono in the middle you know okay that like, sounds yeah that's, that, that's it you know i never you know now that you say that yeah like the house uh piano now i can kind of hear that a little uh riffs on other tunes uh that's great <laughs> yeah it just uh you know it's kind of like played pretty fast these fast right. chords and 
it's got a cut so it's got to be kind of small sounding you know so you want to use some nice big ribbon mics or fancy neumanns or something on a piano but sometimes that's, that's just what you need is a good old 57 so now into my babe is that just more room or because you're starting with just a guitar and a and a piano so is that yeah. like the opposite of what you did on that track then you could say or i think so yeah I, this is this one i can't remember whether this was the piano in la okay uh, that we used or the one in uh austin it's, it's kind of a blur that song because i remember it, the piano didn't exist on that for a while oh the whole song okay. was like the guitar riff okay and then i think brit was like you know it needs a bit more emotion so they came up with that piano part and i can't remember if we re-recorded it a lot of the time i won't re-record stuff if it sounds good it's like sounds good you know, mm-hmm. it's not do it for the sake of it. It sounds great. You know, right. It's the original vibe, and I try and keep that. So, yeah, I can't quite remember if we redid that or not. No worries. It's probably the same piano. Okay. Well, did I get this correct? Was this the first one that, like, excited you and working on? On my babe? Yeah. My babe was um, definitely, I was excited by it. You know, some, some songs you hear, and they're great, and you kind of have to find a way into them. But my babe, for me, was one of the first where you're just like, yeah, I know what we do with that awesome yeah i love i'm i'm really proud of how that one came out because it's just like it's such a steady build from right. where it starts that's probably the thing i learned most on this doing that record was um about the emotion because that was brit's thing about keeping everything stripped back and my uh, natural instinct would be to do things with sounds to kind of make things more exciting and brit's was let's get emotional you know let's build it emotionally so it's like i don't know it's like not a lot not a lot happens but it's just how you use it and when and yeah. that steady build it just you get the feeling of you believe what he's singing there you know yeah well especially the vocal the vocals go to a really emotional place you know he's kind of like yeah breaking up as he's singing um which sounds really powerful too yeah um, totally so maybe this is a good time to get into vocals a little bit too i've read that you never have a vocalist looking at you or even towards you while recording. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, totally true. Yeah. Okay. So did you use that same technique with grits vocals then? I'm yeah. Using, when we yeah. recorded, yeah. When we recorded vocals, yeah, I always do that. Brit actually recorded a lot of these vocals by himself. You know, he has a decent mic and he would work and stuff at home and bring it in. And it's, that's the thing. It's like, if it had the emotion, it was great. Um, mm. But yeah, we recorded some vocals and, yeah, I don't have people. I think the last thing they want to do is look at me when they're singing. You know, it's like just, I want them to be in a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want them to be all just looking like doing my lunch order, you know, while we're doing loads of takes. And they really feel like they're nailing it. And I'm talking to the assistant looking at a menu. It's funny. Um, but, but I bet that happens, actually. I mean, I bet yeah, that happens totally, in a yeah. ton of sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to sound like the guy's just wondering, just worried about lunch. But um, yeah, I tried to have it super vibey. You know, I want people to feel like cocooned. So generally we'll have lights down and unless they hate that, you know, and mm-hmm. have them in a bit of a booth. So it's a bit, bit kind of cocooned in there. Sometimes we'll put some panels or gobos up and build them a little hut. And yeah, usually I'll have them like facing across the studio side. So, so if they want they can look around and see me and talk to me but if someone's really singing their heart out and laying it all out there i don't want them to look up and see me in like a fairly brightly lit control room 
full of equipment you know it's like yeah. i want just to stay in stay in this world that is the song and and not look at me maybe <laughs> yeah. looking totally emotionless and you know because I'm, I'm listening and i just think has he got the speakers on in there is he liking this you know you've got to kind of take that, oh, I like that out of it so maybe if you didn't do a lot of vocals that's fine but i was just curious if you you tried anything new with that or maybe any different mic setups or anything for vocals or anything new on this one no i don't think so not really it was pretty when we did do vocals in the it was that type vibe lights down I would always have usually a, like we'd have a tape echo running live or, you know, or something, some like it has to be interesting and vibrant because it's got to be sound good in the headphones for the singer to believe it, you know, okay. given something amazing to sing to, it can't be, can't be like a half put together thing. You can't expect someone to like go for it. It's almost got to be a finished track to get the best out of it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, always something it's like I remember Brit, we had a lot of um like tape delay running, like a little kind of crappy tape delay thing, but it's something to bounce off and some you know, to feel like they've got there's someone something's there supporting them. It's just always a case of um having a really good sound for them. And the te- technical people out there, usually a good bit of compression. Sometimes I'd do it in Pro Tools just so you can take it off after if it's if it's too much or something quite heavily compressed so people can have something to kind of push into so there's a bit of pressure you know immediately they you notice the difference yeah yeah when you're listening while you're singing yeah for sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah let's get into a little bit on uh on the radio this is a this was a standout song for me when i first heard it it sounds really good just a fun rocker was it fun to make yeah i, I think this was one of the first ones we did so we were finding our way a bit the record on that you know going to that kind of like quite raw sound of a band in a room but yeah i'm pretty sure that that one was kind of pretty well played by the band so we we did a lot of um playing of it but just in just looking for the the takes you know just getting the takes of it down but yeah well maybe i'm going a little too deep but i know so i know the story is reminiscing about a clock radio or part of part of the song is now, in the intro, there's this little synth part in the right speaker. It sounds very distorted. It almost sounds like what a synth would sound like out of a clock radio speaker. And it never comes back in the song. It's just this little sound effect. Um, Half a clock radio, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, did you guys like work hard on that? Or was it just like, a, was it just one little sound? Like, I'll just put it in there. And or... I mean, you know, the, the pro, pro thing here to do is to not answer that and let you kind of just All right. imagine oh, yeah. that's yeah. your right thing. But okay. to- that's the thing I love about it. But I think, you know, I think, I'm pretty sure that's a far feeser maybe. You know, that's like an old synth, uh, old organ. And they have like a plastic body and they have a speaker on there. And in the, when I record those things, generally I'll kind of mic up that speaker. So you're really not far off there. <laughs> it's you know? not, yeah, it's just it, amazing. It pretty much is that, yeah. And it great, never comes it? back. It's just this one little part. Um, yeah. But yeah. to me, I think Spoon has quite a bit of that in their records. You know, little spoken word distorted things randomly. Like I know they did that in Wild on this record. Um, but just little tiny things that never come back again. Yeah, that's what that's what, and that's what makes for me and a lot of fans re-listening to the records fun and and new enjoyable, you yeah. know. Um, and it's these little things that you find, yeah, um, yeah, and they'll talk. You know, someone talks and they're like, no, 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 keep that. All those little things that you hear and those little weird things. 
Jim sounds like he says Mark while he's playing. Goes, yes. Mark, every time we worked on it in the studio, any time it happened, I would spin around in my chair because I felt someone called me. And I still hear it now. It still makes me think, huh? You know, it just sounds like Jim calling Mark. I don't think he is sounding much the same Mark, but it always sounds like it to me. Yes. So very, very funny. Um, so I have, you know, from time to time, fans and different people of the podcast will say like, hey, you should ask, ask Brit this. And um, this was after I recorded with him the interview for Lucifer on the Sofa. But there is somebody that asked me that question. Say, do, do you know, can you ask what that, that's so funny you brought that up. I totally forgot about it until now. Apologies, uh, dear listener. But uh, no, yeah. <laughs> that's great that, so somebody's like, and, and that was my answer. I said, well, I know they worked with the producer, Mark Rankin. So maybe uh, he was saying something to Mark. Yeah. And that's, that yeah. was like my. Yeah, I, theory, I don't but... think, I know, yeah, I should, I should claim it, but I don't think it is. But it's hilarious. Like I knew it was there, but anytime I heard it in the studio, I would spin around and expect Jim to be there. It's crazy. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love that we we covered or remembered to cover that because of the yeah. story. That's great. Okay, so then let's get into we just have a few more tracks to get to. So Astral Jacket is a for them, it's been years since they've had a slow acoustic track on one of the records probably around 20 or so years to be honest um yeah there's some nice just acoustic clean tones really simple sounding song um was that simple was that difficult to make i remember you know in the background i think there's like some interesting loops that kick around in that song so so it's not as simple as it sounds there's stuff going on in the background um, what's um, the loop like the synth sounds or the or what we the made there's or... some percussion there's okay. like some percussion loops yeah that just kind of go around in the background that we made up and like you know in the background of that song there's the big kind of sounds like a kettle drum yeah it goes oh we can't we worked for ages trying to find that sound and we finally got it we got this really nice i may be getting someone in trouble but someone i think had loaned jim this really nice bass drum like a huge 26 inch bass drum with a beautiful you know, fake calf head, mm -hmm. skin on it. And <laughs> we kind of like tap, we're like, this sounds like it's going to work. And just started, we worked it out how I think Geraldo was just playing it. And we just started on like one the second hit. I was kind of motioning like to hit it hard. And it did, and the, the beat, it just went straight through this amazing drum skin on the front that totally ripped it. So we had to just take what I can like edit that into the loop of what we had. That was the sound, but like you did it twice, I think. And then we totally busted the head. It was like, no, it took so long <laughs> to find out, find that drum. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great sound. The synth sounds really cool. There's the shaker. Yeah. It's like, again, it almost sounds, sounds simple, but you know, sometimes yeah. those simple sounding songs can be a lot of work or, you know, laboring over some really basic little sound or something. Yeah, I think it might have been, I think we had, I'm pretty sure it was that we had uh, uh, Alex and Britt sitting upstairs in public hi-fi, just in like the lounge area, like the kitchen area. And I think we recorded it live, those two playing together. 
so we got the balance of like you know an amp um and alex kind of playing keyboard through an amp and the mic really close up to brit's guitar so it was recording everything you know there was no like changing levels too much it was just the mix of those two playing live it's pretty much that one mic or something that's great yeah so that's the core of that um yeah and there was a lot going on in in the loop it's this kind of like rhythmic thing that runs through it the whole time you know (laughs) i love that that was my my band in high school we recorded uh two guitars and a drum set with one mic you know that's how we that's that's how you do it that's how you do it (laughs) that's it that's the that's the dream you know a vocal mic and then you use that to sing the vocals after then you're done yeah that's it (laughs) yeah that's it that's all you need (laughs) uh so satellite well that that's a another highlight for me just a beautiful beautiful song um were you were you aware that they had tried to record this one a few times no 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 nobody told me that it was it's funny hearing that after that they tried it before because they just played it you know they, they would be like okay what should we do now it's generally how it would go we work on something and then they played me a couple and again that for me was one that i just was like yeah let's do that i know how it should sound and uh, thankfully you know that's how it turned out yeah um, that's a that's, that's a fa- kind of similar to to um I guess you could say structurally a little bit uh, wild how it has a, you know, a, a distinct beginning, middle crescendo and end. Um, yeah. yeah. But on this one, I specifically noticed the Mark Rankin signature drum sound. Um, the drum sounds right. so good. The drum, right. the, drum, the drum sounds so good. And you got really like a really loud, the cymbals are really loud. It's perfect. It makes it, it's great. After talking with Brett, at first I was trying to discover. Yeah, it's all like busy hats and everything, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Almost kind of anti-spoon a little bit because I know a lot of times the drums keep it very, very minimal. I almost, I didn't think it sounded like Queen per se, but the guitar kind of really reminded me like a Brian May style the southern solo. <laughs> guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's funny. When, when we did that, I was saying it's too straight and too like classic guitar solo sounding. So if you listen into it, it's actually, I put the guitar solo through a Korg MS-20. It's totally destroyed, really. If you like dial into it, you'll hear it's going through some nasty filters. Because, um, you know, that, that, I remember the whole vibe of that, for me, that song was satellite. And I just could hear all this like digital, you know, distortion, like communication with a satellite and twinkles and atmosphere. So any opportunity, I would try to do it. So yeah, when at the end of the solo, I think it really kind of like breaks down and kind of goes, and it's because it's yeah signals trying to make it through a Korg MS20, just okay. playing, you know, just really sort of destroying it. I just tried to destroy it a bit in the awesome with, with distortion. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah to me just on the record. That's a that's a big guitar tone that stands out. So I mean, you you're talking about recording techniques, but do you get like deeply involved in guitar tones or do the, does the musician kind of say, well, here's my rig or my pedal board or sometimes people, guitarists are very precious about. Yeah, they you know, are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. It can go either way. Sometimes. Yeah. You're like hands off and you let me know, you know, I'll just record your tone. It's such a personal thing. 
right in this instance they would just be like yeah do you know see what you come up with so i would get to go and just mess around and dial it in a bit have someone playing and i'd go dial it in and you kind of dial it in and think that's pretty good and looking and no one's looking and you go okay just keep it going and then <laughs> you push it a bit more and you look around and someone's looking up and you're like okay we're getting somewhere yeah so but it was great fun to really try some stuff out and play around with with some of the sounds on this awesome well i just have a, a couple uh wrap-up ones then so um, when we think about the other tracks then so there was a couple tracks um you weren't credited with but did you ever do any treatments or any work with like we had lucifer on the sofa held and feels all right how, or how did that work was it just because the recordings were started stopped here there and how did that um work? yeah no those two i didn't know i didn't work on loose from the sofa um or feels all right held i did yeah no i definitely i worked on held that was another favorite of mine agreed yeah a great and, cover and i think that um again um the guitar tone that heavy held and hardest cut really you know they both really start the record yeah. with that really big heavy guitar sound um yeah and uh again uh, yeah i love about contrast like that we did uh we do like the big there's like the big orchestral kind of thing in the middle of held the kind of beatles-esque thing where it just all really ramps up and then stops and then it cuts to just like a really tiny amp in the room before dropping back to the riff which is on the like the big the big riff you know with the big sound which That's i love great. going back to that finding different spaces for things yeah, that was one of those moments. Right. And I love the story on that one, too, how there was two takes uh, meshed together, which is fantastic. Yeah. Another drum, amazing drum moment. I mean, the drums just sound huge, but then the, the drum break solo bit is uh, fantastic yeah, that's as the well. Thing. It's, uh, you know, any, any opportunity to do things like that, it's so much fun. Yeah, like the double track drums. And then it cut to, again, like a mono mic, I think. Jim, Jim doing the fill, the kind of like you know, was going for like a bit more of a jazz, loose kit, playing around for the fill before it cuts back to the big, double track thing. That's so, great. You know, yeah. yeah. Did you have any other anecdotes, memories that I missed or that I didn't bring up? Um, I don't know. No, I mean, I think it's kind of covered there. Nice to go back and talk about it. It's such a fun, such a weird time because if we were sort of on and off. Absolutely. making it but but yeah. such a, a fun time you know nice to yeah. be in austin and working with them in their hometown yeah uh, at their studio you know be immersed in that world for a while it was a great great pleasure so i'm sure you enjoyed some margaritas and some good mexican food down there definitely some of the best uh food man yeah. the food food in austin mm-hmm. i mean i've mm-hmm. been uh, i haven't managed to get to anywhere else in texas but Austin uh, made a good show with the food. I just want to say again, it's fantastic to talk with you. It really uh, means a lot. You took the time. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, total pleasure. Thanks for having me.